Welcome to Jean and Mike do the New York Times crossword. Hi, I'm Jean. And I'm Mike. And today we are doing the crossword for Friday, January 13th, 2023. So, did you do the crossword? I did. And was it a lucky crossword? It was a neat idea for sure. Uh-huh. So, <laughs> anyway, yeah, it was a good puzzle. Mm -hmm. I got fun for, for Friday the 13th. Had a Friday the 13th theme. Yes. And mm -hmm. not terribly taxing for a Friday. Sometimes they can be real stumpers, but... This one wasn't so bad, at least for me. Mm -hmm. So yeah, there was a theme, which is which is sort of surprising because usually they don't have them on a Friday. No, but this was a special Friday. Yes, it was. So anyway, yes, they had a number of uh, grade squares throughout the puzzle, and each one of them represented a a um, superstition of bad luck. So, for example, um, there were four grade squares. The first four grade squares of 17 across shakes a leg that was steps on it. So the steps were, um, were grade. And then right beneath that, 19 across, kooky as a scheme was crackpot. And so uh, the, the C-R-A-C-K, crack was grade. So you had steps on a crack, steps above a crack or steps on a crack, mm -hmm. which of course is considered bad luck. 13 down was with this answer's number, a hit or a movie franchise, which of course was Friday, Friday the 13th. But that was the whole, the whole crux of the puzzle, Friday the 13th and mm -hmm. bad luck. Uh, 30 across was Orbiter until 2001, which was Mirror, and then 31, right next to it, was a um, word I'd never heard before, but streamlined type of baleen whale was a Rorqual. And, um, and so you had M-I-R with a black space and then R-O-R uh, grade. Uh, so you had Mirror there, but it was broken with the black square, so... So you had broken mirror. Mm -hmm. uh, you had thirty-three down, which was Edgar Allan Edgar Allan Poe's story with the, and that turned out to be the black cat. And crossing that was forty across. Way to go, path. So black cat crossing the path. So it was, was another one. And then the last one was fifty-five across dive boat feature, which was seal ladder. And underneath it, 57 across, takes steps to compete. And that was race walks. So you had the ladder grade in, and right underneath that was walks, W-A-L-K-S, grade in. So walk under a ladder mm -hmm. uh, for, um, for the last one. So very clever. Right. Yeah. I thought it was a, a a pretty good crossword. I had a lot of trouble with it, though. Oh, you did. Um, yet it uh, it it's it it started off well enough, but and I got about half of it done pretty quickly. But then I don't know the bottom half. I just sort of I guess ran out of steam, mm -hmm. and I had a lot of trouble in the top right corner 
because 16 across was modify or alter, Mm -hmm. and 11 down was Martin Luther King Jr. for one. And I had enough letters there that I thought it might be altar boy. (laughs) And and so I went for altar boy, and then I discovered that uh, 35 across overcooks and then some was burns. So I had it ending with an N, uh-huh. And I wasn't quite sure what to do with that 31 across, that, that uh, baleen whale. But So I went for altar man, and I decided, well, he used to be an altar boy. Now he's an altar man. <laughs> and I thought maybe that would be like a, a Stan Lee you know, superhero that uh-huh. didn't quite make it. Altar man. But that meant <laughs> that, meant that um, 29 across, when said three times, the 2012 Taylor Swift song, was going to be smay, smay, smay. Uh-huh. And it's like, that doesn't sound like a really good... You know, I thought it would be... Um, uh, I, I, I had... First, I was thinking it was going to be pray, 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 because that sounded good. Um, <laughs> but then it would have been altar ran. And then I decided it was going to be stay, so I had altar tan. And then I took a closer look at what was going on with 11 down, and because 16 across was alter, I was reading down as alt when, in fact, it was ATL. And I'm like, oh, wait, it's not alter, it's atl. And then I realized, oh, it's Atlantan. Uh-huh. But that took me a long time. I was, I was doing, um, you know, just a little bit of dyslexia there as I was reading that. Oh, uh-huh. and, and that completely threw me off. So I was... Because I was convinced I was I was trying to solve alter because I did have alter reading across and my brain was doing weird things at uh-huh. that time. Oh boy. So anyway, so I had a lot of trouble with that. Uh-huh. I'm in a lot of trouble with uh, like 24 down, a um, bit of j- dangly jewelry. I had it starting with ear, and so I thought, well, it's got to be earring, but that would have two R's in it, right? That's correct. So I had earring with just one R. <laughs> Earring. Earring. <laughs> and that would mean that overcooks and then some would be irons. So that was like a non-starter. Uh-huh. And I eventually concluded it was ear bob. Yes. Even though I had no idea what an ear bob is. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you happen to know what an ear bob is? It's just a, another name for earring. Is it a bit of dangly jewelry, yes, perhaps? Uh-huh. Okay, well, that, that fits then. Mm-hmm. Um, so I had trouble there um, for uh, 32 down the jetty. I had, first I thought it was, you know, I'm, I'm a little wobbly on these nautical terms. I went for pier, P-I-E-R, oh, uh-huh. and then I went for wharf, abandoning the H because it was an emergency, so I spelled it wharf, <laughs> W-A-R-F, uh-huh. and then I eventually went for Q-U-A-Y, the correct, um, the, the quay, the, or mm-hmm. K, quay. how do you pronounce it? Quay. Quay, okay. Well, maybe it's key. I don't know. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> you know what that means. That's right. It's another one of the, oh, that's how you pronounce it. Yeah. We, I remember we, seeing that when we were in Australia and, and by the um, the um, uh, opera house. You know, they talked, there were like various keys or quays around mm-hmm. that. And I, I just remember that from that experience. We're going to have to figure out how to pronounce that, uh-huh. definitely. Now, now that I'm thinking about it, I think it is key. Yeah. We'll check it out. Okay. let you guys know. It should not be a key. Uh-huh. I mean, by all 
<laughs> with everything that's right in the English language, that Q you ought to be a qua. Uh-huh. Um, that's why I'm thinking, but, but then mm-hmm. I think that's wrong. But there were, <laughs> there were other places where I was stuck. Um, Leonardo, 40 down Leonardo blank Fibonacci alias. I'm embarrassed to say, considering how much I teach Fibonacci sequences, that I didn't know it was Leonardo Pisano. Uh-huh. So... Um, Definitely gets more uh, more airplay as, as Fibonacci. Mm-hmm. And 56 across, the shiny material in some guitars, Nacre? Nacre. Na- Nacre, great. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess they've used that before. Oh, yeah, it's a kind of, it's from a seashell. Is it? Mm-hmm. Okay, all right. Yeah, the inside, you know, like of a shell. Hmm. Um, yeah, they also had in that same area... Fix as the roof of a hut was rethatch. Yes. It's not a term we have to use too often around here. No. I was going for retiling, which oh. would have fitted, uh, except the tense was wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, well, and it was a hut. A hut usually think of having a thatched roof. Well, this is a very fancy hut. Uh-huh. Uh, let's see. What else? Um... Instructions to a kayaker, 43 down, was paddle, yes, which uh-huh. was rather straightforward, uh-huh. surprisingly so. Yeah. But the one next to it, spots for tadpoles. I was like, okay, it's going to be like, um, uh, first I was thinking it was going to be ponds, but that didn't fit. Uh-huh. Then I thought it was going to be ditches. That didn't fit. Uh-huh. Then I thought marshes. That didn't fit. <laughs> Eventually, I wandered over to creeks, uh-huh. which did fit. Uh-huh. So, um, because that C came off of 43 across, they get booted at the office. PCs. Yes. That was cute. I thought that was very clever. And in fact, in that same area, 45 down, like the population of Greenland. So I was thinking like, oh, it's going to be like Norse or Nordic. Oh, uh-huh. um, Or then I decided it was starting with an S, so I was thinking somehow it was related to Swedish. Oh. But it turned out to be sparse. Uh-huh. Yes. Uh, that was sort of funny. Mm-hmm. I put sparse in because I had the really? S. Uh-huh. And I, so I thought, oh, well, it's Greenland. There's probably nobody there. So I put sparse. Then I took it out because I thought, no, that doesn't seem to be working. But then I put it back in because it really was working. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Well, that the P of sparse, by the way, I think we need to apologize to our Greenland uh, listeners because there are clearly people in Greenland. Oh, yes. But I just think it's, you know, it's like our state of Alaska. It's big, but it doesn't have a very big population. Right. So, Mm-hmm. Um, but and that's not that's not disparaging them. Anything bad about the, the the country itself? It's just I just don't think they have a very large population. It's quality, not quantity. Exactly. Um, but but that P of of sparse was the end of uh, forty eight across org with the highest circulating mag in the U S was A A R P. Yes, I thought I, that was interesting. Yeah, I thought it was, you know it was like. Time. I, I first I thought it was time, T I M E, and then I thought, well, this is the New York Times, so it's got to be L E L L E, because they use that a lot. Oh, yeah, I don't think that's a highly circulated magazine. I mean, it only appeals to one half of the population. Maybe, but based on the number of times it's shown up in the New York Times crossword, it certainly certainly shown up more than AARP. Uh, that's true. Of course, by that, uh, I, I think Oreo would probably be the I guess there's no magazine called Oreo. I don't believe so. Um, but um, yeah, so so this was a uh, a fine crossword, 
and um, it was by um, Brad Wiegman, who I think has done, I think he's done some Sundays in the past. Mm-hmm. I don't know if he's done if he's done Fridays, but mm-hmm. but it was pretty good. Yeah, and, I liked it. And yeah. it had a theme. So nice job, Brad. Yes. All right. Um, well, I think the um, last time we had been talking about the, um, the, there was a clue that was referencing the emu wars. Right. And so I thought for Fun Fact Friday, because it is it is Friday, and even if it's an unlucky Friday, there's still time for a fun fact. Yep. I thought we'd talk about the uh, the briefly about the emu war because the emu war was a long war. Uh-huh. Uh, I don't think we want to cover the whole thing because no. it's it's about fifty pages in Wikipedia. Mm. Um, the uh, so this is again yeah from, from uh, Wikipedia. The Emu War, also known as the Great Emu War, was a nuisance wildlife management military operation undertaken in Australia over the later part of 1932 to address public concern over the number of emus said to be running amok and destroying crops in the Campion district within the wheat belt of Western Australia. The unsuccessful attempts to curb the population of emus, a large flightless bird indigenous to Australia, employed Royal Australian Artillery soldiers armed with Lewis guns, leading the media to adopt the name Emu War when referring to the incident. While a number of the birds were killed, the emu population persisted and continued to cause crop destruction. Wow. So, um, following World War I, large number of discharged veterans who served in the war were given land by the Australian government to take up farming within Western Australia, often in agriculturally marginal areas. With the onset of the Great Depression in 1929, these farmers were encouraged to increase their wheat crops with the government promising and failing to deliver assistance in the form of subsidies. In spite of the recommendations and the promised subsidies, wheat prices continued to fall, and by October 1932, matters were becoming intense, with the farmers preparing to harvest the season's crop while simultaneously threatening to refuse to deliver the wheat. The difficulties facing farmers were increased by the arrival of as many as 20,000 emus. Emus regularly migrate after their breeding season, heading to the coast from the inland regions. With the cleared land and additional water supplies being made available for livestock by the Western Australian farmers, the emus found that the cultivated lands were good habitat and they began to foray into farm territory, in particular the marginal farming land around Chandler and Walgooland. The emus consumed and spoiled the crops and left large gaps in fences where rabbits could enter and cause further problems, probably leading to the Great Rabbit War. No doubt. Um... Farmers relayed their concern about the birds ravaging their crops, and a deputation of ex-soldiers were sent to meet with the Minister of Defense, Sir George Pierce. Having served in World War I, the soldier settlers were well aware of the effectiveness of machine guns, and they requested their deployment. Uh, The minister readily agreed, although with conditions attached. And um, Pierce also supported the deployment on the grounds that the birds would make good target practice. While it has also been argued that some in the government may have viewed the operation as a way of being seen to be helping the Western Australia farmers to stave off the secession movement that was brewing. Uh, towards that end, a cinematographer from Fox Movie Tone was listed. Anyways, it goes on to describe in excruciating detail the Great Emu War, wow. which turned out to be pretty pointless because they didn't really kill too many emus at all. Uh-huh. They had visions of them just sort of going in and, and killing thousands, but uh-huh. um, they didn't. Um, but you think about it, 20,000 emus 
That's a lot of emus. Yes. I mean, there, mm-hmm. are, there are towns smaller, have smaller populations than that, so that we have lived in. So mm-hmm. interesting. Hmm. So uh, anyway, it's a it's a fascinating story. Apparently, uh, in 2019, a musical adaptation of the story was workshopped in Melbourne by uh, by a playwright, uh, Seaman Yialugulu, and composer James Court. A movie retelling of the events written by John Cleese, Monty Franklin, and Rob Schneider is slated for release in 2022. So it's 2023. We're going to have to investigate whether or not The Great Emu Wars has actually made it to the silver screen. I'd like to see that. Uh (laughs) Uh-huh. I wonder who they get to play the emus. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to assume it's all CGI. (laughs) All right. Well, that is it for today. Uh, Thanks, everyone, for listening. Um, hope you're enjoying these podcasts as usual, and we'll be back again with our analysis of Saturday's Crossword tomorrow. Bye-bye.